Well, you know, we've been talking about a lot of uh, a lot of things related to the holidays. Certainly, last night, very important, talking about the cornerstone um, uh, characteristic, one might say, of uh, people who embrace uh, the Lord, people who uh, really come to terms with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and that is forgiveness. That is the issue of forgiveness and reconciliation with others, and because certainly we see it demonstrated by God. There are numerous passages in the Scriptures clearly that talk about God's desire to, to uh, forgive, God's desire to be reconciled uh, uh, to us, and and uh, and it goes all the way back, you know, to the to the Torah. So I thought we would take a look. Uh, at the passage that Marcy read uh, in the uh, portion and that uh, James uh, read in English for us, and that is Leviticus chapter 16. You know, something that's interesting about Yom Kippur in the Bible is that, you know, we actually don't read a lot about Yom Kippur in the Bible. Uh, You're hard-pressed to find passages that remind us to observe the Day of Atonement, right? We, uh, when the children of Israel uh, went into the land, uh, they celebrated uh, Passover. Uh, we read in a number of places that on the Feast of Booths, uh, you know, we're to uh, observe and celebrate. Sometimes that's even called the Feast of the Lord. Uh, but you don't find a whole lot about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And that is really ironic when you think about the Jewish calendar in the world today, today, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are the cornerstone holidays. In the Jewish world, they are considered more, do I want to say important, holy? Uh, the gravitas of those days are more than any other holiday that there is. Okay, I, I, But in the Bible, it's an interesting thought that you don't read as much about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur as you do about Passover and Sukkot. Now, the reason for that may be is that Passover and Sukkot uh, were two of the three holidays called Hal Feasts of Ingathering, when the people were commanded to go uh, to uh, Jerusalem, right, to bring in the harvest, the, you know, whether it be in the spring or the fall, makes sense, right? And uh, all other holidays are surrounding those agricultural feasts of harvest. And in the Second Temple period, when you read the Jewish literature of, uh, you know, uh, like, like in the, uh, oh, I don't know, in the Mishnah, maybe, uh, or even before that, uh, in just ancient uh, rabbinic literature, I'll just call it that, uh, what you read is, you, you get the idea that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur were necessary in order to celebrate Sukkot, <laughs> in order to get to Sukkot, in order to get to like the end, in order to get to the celebration of God's harvest, and you know, and and uh, to appreciate all that God has done, you have to repent and be reconciled to God, I, and, and uh, so that's just kind of interesting. Because I, I think I've already said this, maybe at the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, that today Sukkot is considered a minor holiday. Uh, and not even everybody celebrates it. Uh, but Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, 
Well, we used to say, you always know it's Yom Kippur because that's the day that the delicatessens are cooked. Uh, you, you know? And, uh, you know, that is a, a great, a, a, you know, great meaning. Uh, Jewish people around the world, they don't do anything else. They go to the synagogue on uh, Yom Kippur. And you know, in 1966, I believe it was, when uh, that was all uh, brought home to, uh, to many in the United States, when Sandy Koufax, the star pitcher of the Los Angeles Dodgers, did not pitch in game one of the World Series uh, because it was Yom Kippur. And uh, so that was really very, very interesting just, you know, to see that up front in, the, in, that, in that way. So very important holiday. All right. So in the Torah, where do we read about it? We read about Yom Kippur basically in two places, two places. The primary one is in Leviticus chapter 16. And I, as I shared in our uh, Tuesday night Chavurah, in our men's uh, study on Wednesday morning, it's interesting where it's located and, and the context of chapter 16, okay? Because uh, the first verse is very interesting in, in the chapter, the very first verse. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. That's interesting because the death of the two sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died takes place in the 10th chapter. Chapter 10 of Leviticus by Ethan. This is chapter 16. So what's happening in chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15? What's happening in those chapters is instructions on purity. Instructions about purity, about cleanness before God. And uh, we won't take the time to read uh, everything, but in chapter 10, in the chapter where the two sons die, Moses explains to Aaron what the role of the priests are in that chapter. And one of them is to discern what is clean and unclean when someone is contaminated or uncontaminated, when a person has to stay outside of the community until they're healed or until they're no longer contagious or, you know, you know that kind of thing, okay? Uh, and, uh, and, and so uh, that was the role of the priests. So then in chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, you have a variety of situations uh, having to do with purity and impurity, cleanness and uncleanness. One of them has to do with dietary laws, childbirth, diseases, uh, different bodily fluids, uh, you know, when they're uh, emitted out of the body, uh, uh, skin diseases, and mold in, uh, in, uh, in houses, okay? Uh, and the reason that they're all lumped together is because they have to do with purity. And, these, and it's very interesting because in those days, everything I just mentioned is a physical thing, you know, and we're not talking about uh, sin, what we call sinfulness. We're talking about, I mean, if a person is sick, it's not a sin that they're sick, right? Uh, but yet, uh, they would be considered unclean until uh, they were uh, uh, they were healed, okay, and so that's what you have. Whether again we're talking about the dietary laws, childbirth, uh, varieties of illnesses, skin diseases, mold, and so on. So then, when you come to chapter sixteen, the very next chapter now is sixteen, where the narrative is the story is continuing, okay, and it tells us that. 
Now, uh, these words, the, the instructions for the Day of Atonement came right after they, they died. So if this was going to be a narrative order, in the, in the order of the story, chapter 16 should be where chapter 11 is. Uh, and chapters 11 to 15 should probably be after chapter 16. But you have those in between. And so it is very interesting. So now in chapter 16, we're still talking about clean and unclean. And we're talking about what's pure and impure and what's holy and profane and all of that. But now the subject matter is an internal, the internal uncleanness, uh, the sins of the people. Okay, so it's still what is Yom Kippur about? It's about laws of purity, but particular laws of purity where offerings, specific offerings have to be brought. And uh, those first 11 verses actually summarize the whole thing. And since uh, Marcy read them out of the Torah and James read them in English, I won't repeat them. I'll just summarize them and say the first thing that had to happen is, is that the high priest had to be prepared to enter into the Holy of Holies, okay? Because he was, a, uh, he was a, an impure person like everybody else. He was a sinner like everybody else, right? So he had to be pre pre uh, prepared. He had to be purified. He would take a bull for a, a sin offering, the chatat, the sin offering for himself and for his family, right? Uh, and he would sprinkle not only... It, it wouldn't be... By the way, it's very interesting... They didn't sprinkle themselves with the blood. It wasn't like they poured the blood over themselves so that they would be clean, right? No. They poured the blood over the mercy seat and on the horns of the altar, right? Now, if you uh, had a visual of this, of what, they, of what it looked like, the, uh, you know, the mercy seat is the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a box, Okay. I, I, and uh, you had uh, the ash, you know, the ashes of the heifer. You had the Aaron's, you had Aaron's rod, you know, that proved his priesthood. And you have the Ten Commandments. Uh, and so you have this box. Uh, the lid is the mercy seat. Attached to the Ark of the Covenant was were these uh, were cherubim, were uh, angels. Not literally angels; they were carved. They, you know, they, they they were made. They were carved. And when you looked at it, it looked like a chair. It looks like a chair, where the back of the chair is the carving of the cherubim. The seat of the chair and the rest of the chair is this box, where the lid is the mercy seat. Okay, and so it sort of resembled a throne, like a throne. And the idea is here: God is king, and this is His throne. The, the amazing thing, though, about it is it's an empty chair because God is invisible, right? The Israelites did not build like a statue to put on the chair uh, or, you know, or, you know like, like one of those Abraham Lincoln things, you know what I mean? Uh, or any, anything like that. It was just, it was, it was empty, right? Because uh, the God of Israel is, uh, is invisible. Okay, so it was there that they would sprinkle the blood, okay? And, uh, and the text, as we'll see, says, uh, very interestingly, uh, that the, uh, what is happening is that the place is purified. That the place is purified. Then uh, he would take two goats, right? One, for, uh, one would be called for the Lord, a goat for the Lord. 
You know, this is after the bull, after he's cleansed, after he, and all that takes place. Then he would take a goat, uh, and uh, the goat would be slain, and the blood of this goat would be placed on the mercy seat. A lot of blood flowing here, right? The, there would be blood on that mercy seat. There would be blood on the horns of the altar. Uh, and uh, this uh, would uh, also uh, purify the place because of the sins of the people. That's exactly what the text says. And then there would be another goat. So let's turn now to verse 29. Uh, not 20, verse 20, verse 20, 20. Okay, so notice it says here in verse 20, when he finishes atoning for the holy place, that probably surprises us. Well, isn't he atoning for the people? Isn't it that, the, the, you know, it's the atonement of the people? Well, of course, it is the people who are forgiven, uh, and it is the people who are cleansed. Uh, but because of the impurities of the people, because of the sins of the people, the place has to be cleansed so that God can be there and forgive the people. And so that God can be there and cleanse the people because God is the one who is forgiving and God is the one who is cleansing. But the presence of God can't be there if it's contaminated. Okay? All right, so now uh, regarding the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel. By the way, you know, that word confess, it, it, you don't read that word very often in the, in the Torah. Just, you don't read it very often. But that's exactly what he does here. He confesses over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. You know, you can tell it's, it's, it's very significant because it uses the word iniquities, transgressions, and sins. Okay? And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. And the goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. So that's it's really a rather uh, unusual, uh, unusual kind of uh, kind of activity, right? It's called the azazel. The azazel in our English Bible translations, it's not so much a translation of the word azazel because no one is totally sure what the word Azazel actually mean, it, it means etymologically. I mean, what it, uh, what it actually translates to. So a good Bible will just say Azazel, okay? But it functions as a scapegoat. So it's not, it's, not a, it's not a bad thing that your Bible says scapegoat, okay? Because that's where the word comes from. In our vernacular, you know how we, we use that word scapegoat? It's in the Bible. It comes from the Bible. What, what is a scapegoat? A scapegoat is one who takes the blame, one who takes the hit, right? I, the, the one who suffers the damage and is the one who's considered guilty, even though it might have been others who've done, who've done the work, who've done the damage, right? And so this goat is sent out into the wilderness. The fact that he lays his hands on its head and he confesses the sins over it Notice the text itself. We don't have to read into it. It says that that goat bears the sins. 
it takes upon itself, it carries the sins. Okay? That's what it means. So you have in the picture, in the event, not the picture, in the event of the Day of Atonement, when this takes place in the temple, in the tabernacle, and then in the temple, what is happening is, is that the sins of the people are judged. Uh, a price is paid for the transgression. Okay, the animal dies. Uh, when I was a student at Moody Bible Institute uh, a trillion years ago, I, my teacher's name was Louis Goldberg uh, of blessed memory. Uh, he used to say that what we can call this is the exchange of life principle. The exchange of life principle. That is an exchange of life. The animal dies, people live. The animal dies, people live. And so the, uh, the, this first goat that was for the Lord paid the price, satisfied the judgment. In the New Covenant, there's a word that's used a couple of times. Uh, uh, it's called propitiation. It's a word you'll never use, like if you're hanging out with your friends. You, you know what I mean? Okay? But what it refers to is the satisfaction of the judgment for sins. And so the animal paid the price, so to speak. But then the other animal takes away the guilt. The other animal actually takes the sins on itself and takes not only, it's not just guilt, but the blame, the blame of it, so that the children of Israel now can be considered clean. Not only forgiven, you know, not, not forgiven, but still dirty, but, but forgiven. But forgiven and now clean. It's two uh, different acts. And on Yom Kippur, that is a very important part of the liturgy and, and uh, what is on the hearts and minds of rabbis and the people who, uh, uh, who originally put together the Sidurim and the Machzorim and so on and so forth. Uh, that, uh, that we need forgiveness of God and we need the cleansing of God. And so uh, we read uh, here now in... Uh, Verse uh, 29 of Leviticus 16. And this shall be a permanent statute for you in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month. You shall humble your souls and not do any work, whether native or alien who sojourns among you. Uh, for it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Again, notice there is such a great emphasis on purity, purity. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, you may, that you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. So the priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall thus put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meaning and for the altar. And he shall also make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. The entire operation is cleansed. The people are cleansed. The place is cleansed. The priests are cleansed. It is sort of like a going back to square one. Going back to the beginning. Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. And uh, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so he did. 
So one of the things we want to notice at the end is that it wasn't all about the work of the priests, that the people were involved. They did not do the offerings, but yet they were not just passive observers either, right? Clearly, it says in verse 29 and in verse 31 that the people are called to humble their souls, humble themselves, humble their, their, their self-understanding. You know, in Yiddish, if you know any Yiddish, we'd say they've got to humble their kishkas. You know, they've got to humble who they are, who they really are, okay? Uh, not just put on sackcloth and ashes and say prayers, you know, uh, but they truly had to have a heartfelt grieving over those sins. In Hebrew, uh, it basically it means afflict your soul. It says afflict, afflict your souls. That has come to be understood, of course, as fasting. Fasting. How do we know we're supposed to fast on uh, Yom Kippur? Because it says afflict your souls. And the idea there is, is that there is a uh, a physical sense of deprivation when we fast. We're, we're depriving ourselves of something, and it doesn't feel good, right? It doesn't feel good. Let's face it. You know, there's certain hours on Yom Kippur where you kind of like don't want to be with a lot of people. You, you, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and, and that's because you're, you're not like, you may not be in a good mood because you're really hungry. You are. But you know you're not fasting, just you're just not simply uh, not eating and drinking. But there is, a, you are uh, taking, you're doing something with initiative. You're taking an initiative. You're being proactive. You're thinking about the things of God and I'm depriving myself. And it, it's sort of like maybe like the best we can do to afflict ourselves. Because we know we're not supposed to like, do real damage to us, to ourselves. It's not what it means, right? And the idea, though, is, is that it cultivates within us a, sense, a spiritual sensitivity that will cause us to grieve and cause us a, to, a, you know, to really a be, a, be humbled. You know, in the book, This is Real and You're Completely Unprepared for It, uh, there's a lot of things he says uh, about, about all this. I've shared some of it. You know, toward the end of the book, it really gets kind of interesting because he talks about death. And he, and he talks about how there's a particular traditional prayer that is said on Yom Kippur that is only said, it's said at two different times of life. One is every year on Yom Kippur, and the other one is when, just before you die. Uh, and uh, there is a particular, you may not be familiar with it, but uh, sometimes, usually an Orthodox Jewish person, just before they die, uh, they'll have a visit from a rabbi, and there's a particular prayer of confession that that that, that people uh, that people say. Uh, and uh, and so in the book he talks about you know uh, you know at the very end you think uh, you know life has been uh, life has been so short or or like you know um, I I have either regrets or remorse or something, but here I am now. It's like the hard stop. You know, and there's, there's no more time. And so I sort of come to terms with who I really am. And so he says in the book that that's, that's why we say this on Yom Kippur. You know, uh, that it, it, we, we need to consider it like this hard stop of, of really afflicting the soul and saying, God, I want to be right with you, you know, 
And so there's uh, there's a phrase, I, I don't know it exactly, uh, but we say it, it's, it's sort of like, um, uh, observe Yom Kippur the day before you die, <laughs> Some, something like that. Uh, and in other words, the, 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 the idea is, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, right? And so we really need to appear before God without thinking about, well, you know, this will be over and I can't wait till tomorrow uh, because, you know, then I can... Uh, you know, if we were in another part of the country, we go to Corky and Lenny's tomorrow, you know what I mean? Uh, or whatever the case may be, wherever we may live. Uh, but there may not be a tomorrow, right? This may be it, right? And so we approach Yom Kippur with that kind of, you know, affliction of the soul. I want to be right with you, God. I want to tie up the loose ends, you know? Uh, and uh, so it's interesting, you know, he's a rabbi and he says that, uh, he says, sort of a by the way, uh, that, that if you're visiting someone and, uh, uh, you know, they're, they, they know that the end is like really, really close and they want to talk about that, we shouldn't say, no, don't talk about that. Don't, don't, don't talk that way. Don't talk that That's very important to let people say what they want to say, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, and like get it out, whatever it needs, whatever needs to be said, you know, in that moment. And so Yom Kippur is kind of like that. We need to get it out and say what we need to say to God or to others and have that affliction of the soul because the end result is forgiveness and cleansing here, you, you know? Uh, but we, it's, it's not just a case of, okay, high priest, do your thing and we'll be all set. It's, yes, high priest, do your thing, but I am grieving here because I know indeed that I am guilty and I need to get it out of my system. I need to say the unspeakable things of my life you know, to you, Lord, trusted, loved one, friend. And so we have Yom Kippur. Well, you know, certainly we see Yeshua, the work of Yeshua in the Day of Atonement, right? Yeshua is, of course, the high priest, uh, but the one who does not need a bull uh, for an offering, uh, that he is sinless. And that is why, in the book of Hebrews, he is called a priest after the order of Melchizedek, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And I know that volumes and volumes have been written about that, but may I suggest that in the context of the book of Hebrews, just in the verses, you know, you ever think about this, that the people who were receiving the letter did not read volumes and volumes of explanatory material? You know, uh, but they kind of got it what it what it meant. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, so after the order of Melchizedek, in just the bottom line, what does it mean? It means different than Aaron, <laughs> right? Melchizedek kind of like came out of nowhere, right? You know, you know, we, we, he would be the most obscure figure in the Bible if it wasn't for this and the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Uh, so Melchizedek is a high priest of Salem. He's not related to Abraham. He's just like, well, where'd you come from, Melchizedek, right? Uh, and so that is the idea of what it means that Yeshua is after the order of Melchizedek. He comes out of nowhere. He's from the wrong tribe. He's not a priestly tribe. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's not from the tribe of Levi. He's, he's not a priest by heritage. He's a priest, the high priest, because God made him one. That's just like Melchizedek. Okay, there's other things we could say, but the point is, is that he's different. Okay, he's different. Uh, his priesthood is different 
I, that's how we get to be part of that priesthood. Not that we're from the Levitical tribe, but because we are connected to Yeshua, okay? I, and he is from the tribe of Judah. So his priesthood uh, is different. He, does, he is perfect. He does not need uh, an, an offering. And he does not need to offer a sacrifice day after day or year after year, right? Uh, his atonement is offered one time in history. It is, so to speak, the one and only true atonement. Everything else is leading up to it. Because as you know, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, really means covering, covering. What Yeshua actually does is remove the sins. Not symbolically on the head of a goat, but he actually bears our sins, right? That's what we uh, read in Isaiah uh, chapter 53, that he bears our, uh, that he bears our sins. In Isaiah 53, in verse 12, it says, He bore the sins of many. Back in verse 6, it says, He caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. That's kind of an interesting word, by the way. To fall on Him. It doesn't mean to bear that, that, that He bears them. It means that He, that he gets associated with them. <laughs> that, that He becomes associated with all of our sins. They fall on Him. You know, it's like He becomes the responsible party of our sins. Down in verse, uh, at the end in verse 12, it says he, he bears them, he takes them on himself. All right, so he's like that scapegoat, right? He takes the guilt, the shame, the remorse, all of it on himself. That first goat, though, that's where the exchange of life is. Uh, Yeshua dies for our sins, and we read in a place uh, like, uh, well, in Hebrews chapter 10. You know, the temptation is to read the entire, entire book of Hebrews, but I'll refrain from that, okay? Uh, but in, in, in the 10th chapter, we read this. Since therefore, brethren, in verse 19, okay, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Yeshua, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, we're going to come back to this. But earlier on, it talks about the sacrifice of the Messiah. Okay, uh, And I'm not going to uh, actually take the time to read it because if you read chapters specifically like 7, 8, 9, and 10, those four chapters, we read about uh, Yeshua's priesthood, that he is a priest, that he's a perfect priest, uh, that he ministers in a perfect place, and that he, uh, and that he uh, offers a perfect offering. All right? All of that. And, and the reason that it says all of that is so that these Messianic Jews here, that's why the book is called Hebrews, book of Messianic Jews, right? Uh, would, would know who they are in the Messiah would know that they are cleansed, would know that they belong to the Messiah, that they're forgiven, that they're cleansed, uh, and that he is their high priest. Uh, but that's all leading up to something. You know, when you study this book, we're going to be uh, looking at it. We have our MSI class on the book of Hebrews. But do you know that um, if you ask the question, 
What is the book of Hebrews about? What is the goal? What is the purpose of the book? Do you know, I'm going to suggest this, this is going to sound crazy, but the, what the book of Hebrews is not about, it's not about explaining that Yeshua is the high priest. It's not about explaining that he's greater than Moses. It's not about explaining uh, that his offering is the perfect one. It's about endurance. That's what it's about. Because when you read the end of chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12, chapter 13, when you read the whole end of the book, that's why you read in chapter 10, because since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Yeshua by a new and living way, which he inaugurated through the veil that is his flesh. Since we have such a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Come to God. You now have the credentials to be in the presence of God. And no matter what the world throws at you, that will never change. That's what he's telling them. They're under pressure. They're being persecuted. So he spends basically nine and a half chapters explaining to them who they are in Messiah so that they can endure. Okay? That's why it says in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Okay? And so because he is your high priest, because you have the atonement, because your sins are forgiven, because you are considered brothers and sisters of Messiah, because of all that, stick with the program. Hold fast. Hold fast. That's what it means. You know what hold fast means? It, it, it means, it, it, you like to ride roller coasters? Okay, you like to ride? I saw the little hand, right? Uh, Janet's back there. She, she's like waving both hands, okay? I, well, I, you know, I, I uh, forget. I'll hold, I'll hold your purse. You go ride the roller coaster, okay? I'll eat the frozen chocolate-covered banana and, you know, enjoy myself. Okay, but anyway, I, if you ever go up on one of these, I have done it. Okay, and uh, all I can remember is hanging on to that bar in front of me, like, like hanging on for dear life. Like you got to wonder how much pressure was I actually applying? You, you know what I mean? Because I saw my life in my two knuckles right there. You, you know, uh, and so when it says hold fast, it means like hang on, hang on. Remember who you are. Remember your relationship with God. Remember, uh, you know, uh, your identity uh, in the Messiah. Hold fast without wavering for he who promises faithful. And then it says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Okay, let us consider how to stimulate and love and uh, one to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. All right. And so what he's saying there, therefore, is so now that you know who you are and you know that you are reconciled to God, okay, know that, uh, you know, you are not alone in this and that the other people who embrace Yeshua, you, you are connected to them. And therefore, we pour ourselves into each other's, into each other's lives. That's what being reconciled to God means. We're not only just, okay, I'm safe, okay, I'm good, but there is a real horizontal part of being reconciled to God, and that is, remember we said last night, back in the Garden of Eden, because of sin, we're alienated. We're alienated from God, other people, from the world, from, from, 
But when we embrace Yeshua, it's like we're plugged in. We are no longer alienated. We're no longer alienated from God and from others. And so therefore, that is why we are not called to be lone rangers. That is why it says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Then it says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The reason it says don't forsake assembling together is because that's how people were able to communicate with each other. It doesn't mean make sure you have a, a you know a service at 10.30 in the morning and make sure the music's going well and you got everything flowing. and everything. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being involved in each other's lives. That's what it means to be reconciled to God and therefore to others. That's why we are considered the, the body of Messiah. That's why you read some people are, you know, have different gifts and talents and, and we flow together. And then it says, uh, it says uh, here, uh, not after at the end of verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but again he says, encouraging as you see the day drawing near. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. So on Yom Kippur, this is a good time for us to say to, to ask ourselves, what, what is my core all about? What are really the values of my life? As if, like, let's say tomorrow I'm not going to be here. Who am I? You know? And if we're reconciled to God, we really need to think about that. And, and so therefore, if I'm reconciled to God, how do I interact with others? Okay? So there's another passage very quickly, in Romans chapter 12, you're probably familiar with it, where the word transformation uh, is actually used. It says in verse 2, do not be conformed with this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then uh, I'm going to skip down uh, a little bit further to verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body and all have and and all uh, in one body and all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Messiah and individually members of one another. We are organically connected to each other because we're reconciled to God. Part of being reconciled to God, it's not just me and God. It's not, it's not just I'm reconciled to God. So now I can, you know, I can tell this person to bug off and I can... Uh, Get rid of that person if it's just me and God. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. Okay? When there is reconciliation with God, there is reconciliation with the body, with other Messiah followers. Okay? Uh, and, uh, and so uh, so he says that. We who are many are one body in Messiah and individually members of one another. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to jump down to verse 10. Well, at verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Notice it like we're supposed to be devoted to God, right? Of course we're supposed to be devoted to God. But you see, it has a, a horizontal effect. If I am devoted to God, I'm going to be devoted to other people in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. That's also, that could be a whole thing. But anyway, give preference to other without looking down on them. Give preference to other people without being condescending. 
Interesting. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. You bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, beloved. Leave room for the wrath of God. And then I'm going to jump down to the end. Do not be overcome by evil, but be over, but overcome evil with good. That's when we talk about being reconciled to God. That's what we're talking about. Not just now I'm right with God, but now this is who I am. And this is the time, this is the day when we say, you know, who am I, right? Uh, and so remember that we indeed have this reconciliation. And when we speak about enemies, I'll just read one verse here from Romans 5, and I'll be, I'll be there. In verse uh, 10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Messiah Yeshua, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So, in Messiah, we are reconciled to God. But we do need to confess our sins and where we have fallen short uh, so that we can be the men and women whom, he, whom God desires for us to be. Uh, and, and we've been uh, saying that uh, through this journey, so I won't uh, repeat any of that. But uh, may we uh, come to God recognizing who we are in the Messiah, recognizing that atonement has been made, the price has been paid for our sins. Therefore, God always receives us. But may we take stock of our lives and may we live as people who are indeed reconciled uh, to God. And may we be like Paul, ministers of reconciliation. May that be who we are, bringing the good news, uh, you know, uh, of uh, reconciliation uh, to Israel and to the nations. And may the world see, indeed, what that looks like as we interact. Let's pray. God, uh, we uh, do pray that we would really live as reconciled people. Live as people who have been cleansed. Live as people who have been uh, forgiven. And I pray, Lord, that we would indeed, indeed uh, take stock uh, of our lives as if this was the last day. God, and I pray, Lord, uh, that uh, in it we would maybe experience all over again, uh, you know, uh, forgiveness and, and being reconciled to you so that we can be filled with the Spirit and, and experience joy and peace, you know, and patience and kindness and long-suffering and all those things. And so, God, may, uh, may this be uh, a turning of the page uh, for us. May it really be uh, a day of once again experiencing, maybe celebrating, uh, uh, starting over again in uh, that reconciliation uh, with, we pray in Messiah's name.